Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did you see the latest Nintendo newsletter? Whoa, nice graphics. I'd like to get my hands on that game. You mean you haven't played it yet? We can play it on my Nintendo Entertainment System. It's the Legend of Zelda, and it's really rad. Those creatures from Ghana are pretty bad. Octoroks, Tech Tikes, Levers, too. But with your help, our hero pulls through. Yeah, go, Link. Yeah, get some. Awesome. Intense. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Your parents help you hook it up. The Legend of Zelda sold separately. I have my orders, too, sir. They don't include me abandoning my post. I understand that, but this changes things. I don't see that it does, sir. The chief of staff for the United States Army says it does. Sir, our orders are to hold this bridge at all costs. Our planes in the 82nd have taken out every bridge across the murderette with the exception of two. One at Boulogne and this one here. We let the Germans take it. We're going to lose our foothold and have to displace. Private, your outfit wants to stay. That's one thing. I can't, your party's I, over here. Sir, I can't leave until at least reinforcements You got here. three minutes to gather your gear. Sir, what about them? I mean, there's barely hardly hey, enough of Two of our guys already died trying to find you, all right? Sir. That's right. What were their names? Arwen Wade and Adrian Capazzo. Wade and... Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, sir. Why? Why me? Why do I deserve to go? Why not any of these guys? They all fought just as hard as me. they're supposed to tell your mother when they send her another folded American flag? Tell her that when you found me, I was here and I was with the only brothers that I have left and that there's no way I was going to desert them. I think she'll understand that. There's no way I'm leaving this bridge. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. I'm Jem Daduchu, 
And this time round, I'm not going to be particularly flippant or anything, because while, yes, I'll be talking about a movie, it's an important one, one that does history right, and one that is still reflected in a few veterans that are still alive today. This time round on Neon, I'm doing Saving Private Ryan. So, Saving Private Ryan was a bit of a revolutionary movie of its day. We had already had from Steven Spielberg the it's sort of the the bizarre thing of him editing Jurassic Park that was at its time the single biggest box office smash, you know, prior to the likes of uh, Titanic. But while he was editing that, he was actually filming Schindler's List in Poland. And to me, it's that that shows you that Steven Spielberg's the single greatest director of all time. Now, you know, people turn around Stanley Kubrick, and don't get me wrong, Stanley Kubrick is a remarkable film director, but he didn't exactly crank out the films. And while each one is a perfect piece of art, you could argue that the best of Spielberg holds up to the best of Kubrick. But Kubrick never had any sort of secondary movies, whereas you do with Spielberg. But here we've got an example where Jurassic Park was undeniably a popcorn, blockbusting bit of perfection. And Schindler's List is one of the most powerful historical movies ever made. And to have those two completely different tones in your head simultaneously, pulling them together is just something that I, I doubt any other film director could possibly do. But fast-forwarding a few years, Spielberg's now very much in his sort of serious tone. It continues with the likes of things like Amistad and Lincoln, for example. But with Saving Private Ryan, you get a a film director who's known for like very clean shots and very much framed camera work and dolly and tracking shots and things like that, suddenly using, in essence, handheld cameras and sort of deliberately overexposing the film to give it that look of some of the photos from, from actual D-Day, which was June 6th, 1944. Saving Private Ryan does historical drama right. One of the tricks it uses, which I always approve of, is the central characters are fictional. And that means you can put them anywhere you want. These are imaginary people going through real history. And that's fine by me, because if it was the other way around, real people doing fictional history, you get something like Braveheart. And as I said in a previous podcast, that doesn't really work. So when people turn around and start talking about Saving Private Ryan, they always talk about the opening scene. And actually, the opening scene isn't the one you think it is. The opening scene is of an old man going to a cemetery in basically the modern era with with his family. He is grey-haired and he is standing there in this field of stone headstones. And it's a very touching moment. And you've got the sort of solemn trumpeting type music. And then it zooms into this person's face. And then we see 
Tom Hanks in the landing craft, ready to go onto the beachheads of, of Normandy. And the rest of the film is all on that time until eventually at the very, very end of the film, it pans out and uh, it sort of cuts back to that old man who basically looks at his family. I'm actually getting a little bit choked up as I describe it. It's kind of, it does show you how powerful it is. And he, and he looks at his family for like affirmation. Did he do the right thing? And, you know, all that death and destruction and was it ultimately worth it? Now, Saving Private Ryan was, in essence, uh, riffing off, you know, I, with Bonnie and Clyde. I, I mentioned how, you know, The Highwayman was kind of a, a, a modern retort to uh, the 60s film Bonnie and Clyde. And I don't think it was necessarily a retort, but clearly what Spielberg wanted to do was use the visual language of a lot of the more modern war films which had largely been around things like vietnam so vietnam was a sort of dirty nasty war and therefore the visuals are kind of dirty and nasty and yet when the heyday of the world war ii movie was in the sort of 50s and 60s and very few of them are sort of like dirty gritty nasty things you get something like sam peckinpah's cross of iron but that's very much the exception most of the time uh, you get something like and this is the one that's sort of like, clearly there's a dotted line between the two of these. The Longest Day, the black and white 1960s film, even though this was the era of colour, they wanted to use black and white footage to make it sort of feel more documentary. And they basically got everybody famous from the 1960s to be in The Longest Day. Um, there are some interesting ones. For example, if you if you do go back to The Longest Day, it is a, a remarkable uh, feature film feat of its era. Um, you get someone like Richard Burton in it, who plays an RAF pilot, who is an, a sort of survivor of the Battle of Britain, and later on you see him, he's been shot down, he's sort of uh, badly wounded. He filmed all that stuff because he had nothing else to do, because they were in the middle of moving Cleopatra from Britain to Italy, and he basically begged to do something. He wanted to be on film somewhere. Uh, you've got uh, Sean Connery, you know, he's just had a, f- a big hit with this thing called James Bond, and so he's now in it. Uh, you've, of course, got John Wayne. Now, I'm not going to start going into the, the ins and outs of this, but basically, what annoyed, he played a real uh, major of a, of a, the, the paratroopers of the 101st Airborne, and this is in the 1960s, and John Wayne playing this man in the 1940s, the man who he was playing was still younger than John Wayne was in, in uh, watching uh, the longest day than of course 20 years prior when he had been in his in his physical prime so john wayne is way too old to be playing this guy but hey he's john wayne it's the 1960s you can't have a war film without john wayne easily the most interesting person in the whole of the longest day watch out for this is a great british actor which you know, most people haven't heard of you, you've got to know your 50s and 60s british films to, to admire this individual. He is a great actor. Richard Todd is his name. And, and what you need to be aware of is he plays Major Howard in the British paratrooper and paraglider assault on Pegasus Bridge. So quick bit of overview of what happened on D-Day. Most people concentrate on what happened in the beaches and indeed Saving Private Run quite rightly concentrates on one of the American beaches. But 
if you come come in with the beaches, it's very easy to hit them from the side, the flanks in military terms. So basically, what this was all about was the fact that you needed to protect these beaches from a counterattack from the Germans. So in essence, if you were looking looking at the map in the west at the very edges of the of the beaches that's where the american paratroopers landed and at the east that's where the british paratroopers and paragliders landed and pegasus bridge was this key pivotal bridge i've been to see it i've well it's actually the original is now in a museum the there is a replica of it across the bri- uh, across the river and you get a real thrill this is something that most again americans or modern day brits don't know an awful lot about but watch the the longest day and you realize how pivotal this is and there is Stephen ambrose who basically wrote band of brothers uh, more on that later uh, also wrote one about pegasus bridge pointing out how difficult it, uh, an operation it was but that was basically on the eastern flank the only way the germans could get heavy armor across that bridge so it had to be held now what's this got to do with richard todd playing major howard well richard todd back in june 1944 was part of that operation he wasn't Major Howard because his surname's different. You can tell he was one of the the assault squad. And somebody asked him if he if he wanted to play himself, and he goes, "I'm afraid, uh, you know, that that's a very small role." All these real veterans of World War Two are incredibly modest about what they did. You know, none, none of them ever think they're a hero. The heroes were the ones that basically passed away. But yes, so you've got Richard Todd. In essence, I mean, not quite exactly, but basically reenacting his genuine genuine contribution to world war ii and that always puts a little thrill in me when we when we see this so saving private ryan if you have not seen it uh first of all shame on you although it is r-rated 15 in the uk um uh, but as i'm aware schools actually show it you have to get a sort of special release form if you're like 14 years old if you're studying world war ii it's an absolutely brilliant way to show world war ii now I could, I would argue that if you want to get an overview of what happened on the D-Day landings, technically longest day is better because it shows you from the German perspective where they're speaking German for the record. You have to read subtitles. Uh, there's the free French. There's an amazing helicopter tracking shot when they do their own assault on, on a port and, uh, it, it doesn't cut away, uh, for, for ages. And you just see them sort of like going from street to street from this sort of like aerial view. Amazing bit of photography for its time. Um, so you see it from the different perspectives, you see it on the different beaches. But because it's the 1960s, because it's a family-friendly movie, the usual thing happens when somebody gets shot, they go sort of and clutch their chest and fall over. Not a lot of blood. A friend of mine uh, called Simon, when he sort of saw Saving Private Ryan, like me, in the cinema, you know, not quite knowing what we were expecting. We, we all had seen, we'd all grown up on the World War II movie. So we were expecting all those sort of shooty, shooty, sort of like clutch and arg. But the sheer genius of Steven Spielberg once again is shown by this movie because he shows you what you thought you knew in a completely new way. And that kind of opening shot of everybody being very tense in that landing craft, you know, somebody throws up through their nerves, that genuinely happened. And then... One of the landing crafts arrives at the beach, the front door goes down, and everybody in that landing craft is shot to pieces by the German heavy machine guns. And again, that actually happened. And you never saw that in uh, The Longest Day. And what it shows you is the sheer horror of combat. 
and what what Spielberg's direction to um, the the cameramen on the beaches is. He goes, "You are not filming a movie. You are now a combat photographer in a war zone." And and so when people sort of pan around and look at things, that wasn't necessarily frame for frame what should have happened. They just all like looked at things they hadn't noticed. They got genuine. It's filmed in Ireland. And they got uh, genuine amputees uh, to basically have prosthetic arms and things like that. So they, you know, if somebody's walking around holding their arm, the reason why that looks real is because, yeah, that person genuinely doesn't have an arm, which is why it looks like that. And as somebody else pointed out, the sheer genius of this 20-minute carnage that's happening at the front of this movie, not, not at the start, the front... Um, is it just shows you what little chance those men had landing on those beaches against such heavy, heavily reinforced defences. And all these unnamed people are just being shot to ribbons until eventually you zoom in on Tom Hanks. And then you you know Tom Hanks is safe, and it's sort of like a relief. And and yes, okay, he's a famous person. You could say it slightly takes you out of the movie, but it, like you are by then so exhausted. It's like, oh, thank goodness that this man is is in the film because i figure he's gonna make it off the beaches and spoiler he does obviously but what exactly is saving private ryan about it is as i said this great thing about it's teaching you history through fake people and indeed there is an echo of reality but the whole saving private ryan thing never actually happened the point is this there is there is a there is a brief moment a brief release if you like after the carnage of the uh, of the shores it then zooms in onto the pack of a man just lying face down in the water the 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 photography and the effort of trying to make this as real as possible was so great that they poured so much um, I actually off the top of my head, I don't know whether it's fake blood or whether it was animal blood, but they poured so much red stuff into the Irish Sea that for a, a while the shore was genuinely red with blood or what looked like blood. And so, yes, it zooms in on this pack of this man just lying face down in the sands and it says Ryan on the back. And you're going to see the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's like, well, looks like Ryan hasn't survived. But then we cut to basically the... Very sombre and, again, very true scenario of these uh, women having to type out all these letters of bereavement. And um, basically, there's a, a woman who uh, you, you see a sort of like a, a priest and a military officer going up to this woman's house. And in the window, she has a, a little star with a number of uh, – sorry, she has a little flag with a number of stars. And that's what w- um, people did in America during World War II. The more stars you had on this flag, the more of your sons or brothers or husbands or, well, not multiple husbands, um, but the more of your family was serving in the, in the war. And the, the, the sort of basically the tag on this is there were a number of Ryan brothers and all of them are dead except for one. And so now Tom Hanks has to go and try and find this paratrooper Ryan somewhere in Normandy to get him home and get him safe. And uh, that Ryan himself is played by Matt Damon. And um, this wasn't his first role. But Matt Damon, I remember saying in an interview, it's like by then, he, you know, he'd made his break, obviously, uh, uh, you know, big break um, with Goodwill Hunting. And he recognised this was an opportunity to sort of like see Steven Spielberg at work to, to learn the craft of how to be a director. You know, he's a writer and director himself. And 
he said, you know, after a, a couple of days, I just couldn't keep up with him. You know, just the, the, the man is at, at a whole other level. So everybody has just huge, huge respect for uh, Steven Spielberg. But um, also up until this point, Tom Hanks, uh, a, a devout Christian, a man who takes his faith seriously, had never killed anybody on screen, but recognized if he was going to play a ranger in, in World War Two landing um, on the beaches of Normandy wouldn't be particularly historically accurate if that didn't happen. But this was all the carnage that was going on in Saving Private Ryan to show you the genuine sacrifice of these men. It isn't, however, perfect. Again, a quick comparison. I'm aware we're leading up to part two. Um, But if you enjoyed this one, then uh, don't forget. But Uh, The thing about The Longest Day is it does show you that other countries contributed. Now, it's quite historically accurate, quite right to show American troops dealing with Americans on an American beach during the landings. But to give you an idea, this is the sort of first bit to sort of show you the broader picture and how you might not understand this. There were five beaches. I've already mentioned there were two loads of sort of paratroopers and paragliders. 50% basically were British, 50% basically were American. So, but of the five beaches, two were American two were British, and one was Canadian. So to sort of say on D-Day that, uh, you know, it was a majority American effort, it really wasn't a majority American effort. It is also worth pointing out that, yes, the heaviest fighting happened on Omaha Beach, but that wasn't deliberate. It wasn't, you know, the Americans weren't meant to get pounded on that beach. It just happened at Sword and Juno, etc. They they still fought hard, but they didn't have the same nightmare that they did on Omaha Beach. Saving Private Ryan started a bit of a slew of America being the most powerful country in the world in the 1990s and with the largest film industry, global film industry in the 1990s. Unsurprising that we get more American stuff talking about World War II. Now, I've heard a few Brits complain saying, well, why aren't they, you know, why aren't they doing stuff about, you know, the, the true stuff about the British contribution? It's like, I'm sorry, but each country needs to make its own stories about its own history. You can't expect another country to get it right about your history. Now, far more recently, we've had Dunkirk, uh, Christopher Nolan, a sort of like half British, half American, basically. And he always liked the Dunkirk thing. Um, and so, yes, we have had a, a, a recent British movie showing, uh, well, sort of British movie showing British contribution in World War Two. But fundamentally, we like to show the disasters. I mean, Dunkirk, whether you like it or not, was a, a race to get out of uh, out of Europe because we so comprehensively had our butts kicked, basically. Um, we don't tend to do an awful lot about the victories of World War Two, which is a shame because British contribution was huge. However, because of a Western bias and because for most of our understanding of what happened after World War Two has been seen through the lens of the West versus uh, the Soviet Union, we tend to underestimate the importance of what was going on on the Eastern Front in World War Two. D-Day was never actually the name for that operation. D-Day is a technical military term of its time, making, it's, in essence, it's decision day. It's the day the operation starts. The operation was called Operation Overlord. So the first day of Operation Overlord was D-Day. But then again, the first day of Operation Market Garden was the D-Day of Operation Market Garden. So anyway, anyway, slight, slight little, little pub quiz fact then. Um, but what it does um, show you is that there had to be decisions to pull the trigger. 
And I want to talk about a little bit of an unsung hero, a guy called James Stagg, a British officer. And there's even been a play written about him. And what he was, was the single most important person in the planning of D-Day, because he was in charge of the weather reports. Big deal, I hear you say. Well, this is the thing. The the Soviet Union was under so much pressure from the, the German attacks you know, ever since Operation Barbarossa in 1941. It is worth pointing out that at any point in World War II, two-thirds of the German army were in the Eastern Front, not in the West, okay? So imagine if it had been flipped round. D-Day definitely would have failed. But, you know, the Soviet Union had lost quite literally millions of men and thousands of tanks and aircraft, etc., It was beginning to stabilise, but there's still titanic battles happening. Something like Kursk, the single largest tank battle in history, uh, happening over hundreds of miles, thousands of tanks, millions of men. Um, Just, you know, the scale on the Eastern Front was something different. So Operation Overlord in in the list of biggest battles of World War II isn't even in the top 10. And the Soviet Union was putting pressure on on the West, saying, look, why don't you just consider the English Channel like a particularly large uh, river and just uh, treat it like a river operation? Because they just wanted them to get on with it. However, the reality is the English Channel is very deep and has very strong currents and tides. And so if you are going to do a landing, you can't beat Mother Nature. You need the tides to be in your favour, which means you get a shot at that for a couple of days every month really. But on top of that, you need good weather because uh, landing craft, they're not particularly great in, in high sea. Well, I mean, basically they're going to sink if, if, if the waves start crashing over them, they will just sink. So you need the weather t- uh, to be not too stormy. The other thing, as I keep mentioning, or mentioned a fair amount in part one, is the paratroopers. You cannot jump paratroopers in high winds and rain. Basically, their parachutes don't work in that situation. And also the gliders would just get buffeted off course and sort of probably crash and everyone would die. So you need reasonable weather. James Stagg was the guy who had to work out, is it going to be stormy or not? Indeed, the German weather forecasters were also paying attention to this. They knew quite well, uh, they knew as well, uh, absolutely equally, that the Allies needed good weather to do a proper main landing. Also, there was the big sort of spy debate about where would they land? Calais is closest to England, and that's where the Germans had their greatest defences. Normandy is pretty much the furthest point from from England to France, it makes not a lot of sense. But because it makes not a lot of sense, there were fewer fortifications there. Still plenty of them, just ask the the Americans on Omaha Beach. But James Stagg was the one who basically worked out that there was stormy weather, unusually awful weather in June. Although if you're British, you could say maybe that's not a huge surprise. But he was the one to, A, say you need to delay. It was meant to originally be the 4th of June. He said, no, 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 the the weather will not be appropriate for the 4th of June. But then he worked out, he goes, there'll be a brief window for the operation to be successful in early morning of June 6th. And so James Stagg, not um, General Eisenhower, was the one who basically got the numbers right and made the case for d-day to happen on those days and indeed you know there are cases of some of those men had been embarked on their ships for days uh there was sort of it wasn't used to thousands of men on the ships and so the toilets were overflowing and men were getting seasick in the harbors and throwing up everywhere is disgusting but 
they persevered and, uh, and off they went. Now, the, the, as I said, the Saving Private Run didn't deliberately want to say America yee-haw, but it is worth pointing out two unnecessary mistakes that don't help the Brits. As I said, every single soldier on that American beach would have been American. There would have been historically inaccurate to have a bunch of British commandos there fighting alongside them. That might make the Brits feel better, but that actually is less historically accurate. However, Right at the beginning of the scene, when you have the guy who's actually uh, the sailor actually moving the ship in and sort of like counting them down, he's clearly American in the movie. That was all the, the Royal Navy. So why they couldn't have had a Brit there, I don't know. And also, the only time they mention the British, it's in a disparaging term. What about Monty? He's overrated. It's like, okay, again... The Americans didn't like the the British too much. There was still, uh, you know, still animosity. There's still a feeling of like, well, we're saving their butts uh, once again in a world war. But Britain had fought and lost blood and lost thousands of houses in London and Coventry and places like that uh, through the bombing by the Luftwaffe. Britain is a hard country with a proud history, and it is a real shame that we we keep getting. Uh, the sort of American movies where they're um, sort of uh, disparaging about British contributions uh, to the war effort and and beyond. Definitely the biggest crime of that is U571, which uh, basically um, HMS Bulldog, uh, in in essence, captured the Enigma codes from the uh, from a German U-boat, and um, they did all this before America had even joined in World War Two. And yet you've got this U571 that has the Americans doing it. Um, and, uh, it, it, it caused such outrage. They ended up having to add basically a little, little, you know, that you get the little written bit at the end of some historical dramas. Basically, basically they had to point out the entire film was utterly fictitious. It's probably the only movie you're ever going to see that's got Harvey Keitel in it, an amazing actor, and John Bon Jovi. Great singer, not a great actor. It's just a weird film. Anyway. So back to Saving Private Run. It absolutely shows you the uh, the brutality of all this stuff. And the the opening bit about what happened on Omaha Beach is broadly speaking pretty uh, pretty accurate. The big fight at the end in the sort of the ruined French town, well a lot of things like that happened, but that specifically itself didn't happen. But you know, it just shows you how vicious the fighting was and and you know the 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 scene with the sniper the people have been turned around going that shot's impossible yes it is possible and there was actually a, a moment in world war one where one sniper managed to hit another sniper through the actual eyeglass through the you know the the target uh, um, that he uh, that he was using the sort of the magnifier on the top of the the gun um that actually happened but at this distance that angle that wouldn't have happened it's like okay come on people uh you know maybe you should sort of not freak out on bullet trajectory shall we it is also worth pointing out that this movie has a forgotten actor in it it will surprise you to see a young Vin Diesel in it. Vin Diesel today is now almost a bit of a joke. I mean, he's very successful in things like Fast and Furious movies, but he's he's made a lot of bad films. And uh, he seems to have to taken up the art of mumbling his way through lots of movies and wearing an awful lot of vests as well. But there was a time 
when he was taken seriously as an actor. He was seen as a sort of potential shining star, and he does have a couple of really poignant scenes in Saving Private Ryan. Um, so yes, Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, Vin Diesel. Not a common combination of, of people. But uh, Saving Private Ryan you know, got a lot of Oscars. It also um, you know, made a huge amount of box office and was incredibly respectful to the history. And what it did ultimately is people wanted, just as Apollo 13 uh, triggered a whole HBO special series um, about the, the the race to the moon and the sort of the um, the, the whole space race. Uh, it's an excellent series. Same thing with Saving Private Ryan. It basically people wanted Saving Private Ryan, the TV show. So I mentioned in part one that Stephen E. Ambrose he uh, wrote a book called uh, about Pegasus Bridge and the British paratroopers there. He also wrote one about the American paratroopers and he called it Band of Brothers. And this was uh, largely based around Easy Company of the 101st Airborne during D-Day and beyond, taking them all the way to the end of World War II. And that Band of Brothers was turned into a TV uh, a TV series, a miniseries by HBO. And in my opinion, it is the single most powerful TV series of all time, miniseries at least, of, of all time. And a little bit like Saving Private Ryan, a little bit like the um, the Apollo one as well, you get the show, but at the beginning... You get the talking heads. These are the real men that are being portrayed in this TV show. But what they are very clever about is they don't tell you who they are. They tell you about their experiences. And then in the very last episode, they reveal which ones are you looking at. And one individual you actually think is dead. You know, he takes horrific injuries during World War II. And you find out he lied. He lived. Uh, he basically, yeah, he, he lost his legs in, in Normandy. But, uh, you know, he, he was still alive at the time of filming. Now, most of these people, um, you know, by now have sadly passed away. But um, they were around long enough to be able to tell their stories and sort of like um, share their experiences with people. And, uh, you know, again, maybe I'll do a, a neon on, on um, Band of Brothers at some point. I think you can tell I'm incredibly uh, passionate about that one. But World War II... If you want, let's go, let's go into a little bit of pop culture for a moment. World War II was huge after World War II. I know that's, that's a weird thing to say, but very shortly after World War II, you get something like Sands of Iwo Jima, which, uh, you know, for its time was pretty gritty. Another John Wayne film, again, even, even in the late 1940s, he was a bit old to be playing a sergeant in the Marines, uh, fighting in Iwo Jima. And they, they did genuinely have some of the veterans of that campaign in the movie. Um, they also um, used some of the real footage from the battle, which is um, another reason why it could have been in colour, but they, they stuck with black and white. It's also the first movie that had the phrase lock and load in it, um, just to, to let you know on that one. And again, for its day, fairly gritty film. But, um, you know, you had the veterans coming back wanting to, I guess, show people what, what you know, what they contributed to the war. Some of them were sort of attempting to be fairly gritty and realistic, like Iwo Jima and Longest Day. Some of them were pure fantasy, um, uh, like uh, Where Eagles Dare. And um, the uh, the brunette woman in Where Eagles Dare, uh, she was an actress. Uh, she came from mainland Europe, and she was actually in a lot of uh, British movies, a lot of Hammer Horror movies. Um, Where Eagles Dare is definitely a guilty pleasure. I absolutely love it. This is Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood. Um 
uh, Alistair MacLean, who was, you know, huge in the 60s and 70s writing thrillers, they basically wanted to do um, the, the Guns of Navarone, which is, again, a completely made-up one. They kind of wanted to do something like that. And so, whereas that was Guns of Navarone, the movie is based on the Alistair MacLean book, um, he just quickly wrote this script for a sort of thing um, that led to all kinds of exciting fights on, like, a cable car and so on and so forth. And really, the first half of Where Eagles Dare is people creeping around, and the second half of it is just things constantly exploding and and, uh, and shooting. And Clint Eastwood himself even said, you do know that guns have to reload at some point because he's just doing this endless amounts of shooting down this corridor. It's an amazing scene. I so recommend. Clint Eastwood's been in some pretty violent films. This film is rated PG, and yet it is the film he kills more people than anybody else. Yes, including Dirty Harry or Unforgiven or The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. It's Where Eagles Dare uh, is the one that he slaughters Nazis, but hey, they're Nazis. And indeed, at one point when I showed my kids this film, one of my kids turned to me and said towards the end, he goes, Daddy, is everything going to explode? And I went... Yes, it is. Um, but just on that point, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this this woman in the film, uh, she signed up for it and she was of Jewish descent and she was in occupied Europe as a child. And she just didn't realize how many men would be walking around in German uniforms in this movie. And she had a horrible, torrid time of it. It gave her horrific flashbacks and is a reminder that, you know, yes, it, you know, we, we, you might have cartoonish violence against Nazis, but we can all agree the Nazis were bad. And yes, maybe we should be careful because uh, the further we get away, the fewer real veterans are still alive and can remember the horrors of World War Two. You know, you start getting people like Genghis Khan getting a pass. Yes, he massacred loads of people, but that's kind of the way it was in medieval e- Europe because a medieval era, because nobody really remembers the Mongols. Um, you know, and sort of similar things with Napoleon and, and so on and so forth. I'm perhaps not putting Napoleon in quite the same territory, but yes, you know, we're getting to the point where we're so, so, I mean, I don't get how you can get neo-Nazis in America. I really don't. It's like, you do know your grandparents fought against the Nazis and we're very proud that we defeated the Nazis. And oh yeah, if the Nazis were as good as they thought they were, shouldn't they have won? So, uh, your hero shot himself in a bunker. Um, you know, it's weird. You know, you know, you just wouldn't have had neo Nazis in America in the 1960s. It's, it, it's just not a thing. But I do know that a lot of veterans, um, were disappointed with the movies of, say, the 50s and 60s because they couldn't show quite how horrible these wars were. It's like you're allowed to show how bad Vietnam was. You're allowed to show the, uh, the futility of war in World War One. But what, both Saving Private Ryan and also a very powerful episode, Why We Fight. There's 10 episodes of uh, Band of Brothers. Each one's called different things and Why We Fight. Um, basically, the, the, this is after the, the shootings and all but finished. And, and for a while, it, it does feel like a sort of Vietnam anti-war mo- uh, uh, moment where you're thinking, yeah, all this fighting and bloodshed, what was the point? But then they show you in that episode, the, you know, the sheer horrors of the Nazi regime. It's like, yes, sadly, with regret... All that loss of life on the beaches of Normandy, on the Eastern Front, it was a horrible necessity because there can be no doubt that the world would have been a far, far worse place had the Nazis won World War Two. And I can't think of a, a more poignant, more powerful way to finish a Neon podcast. Sorry, this hasn't been quite as perhaps flippant and silly and pop culture-y as as it has been, although I have mentioned an awful lot of like TV and movies over the decades portraying 
World War Two, which for the for the record is the single biggest conflict in human history. More than 60 million people died in this conflict. And of course, when you start talking about things like the final solution, we'll never quite know the numbers. It seems a minimum of 6 million. So nowadays, it seems to have been amended to 7 million. But we're getting to numbers of entire other wars, just, just people annihilated by a sick and twisted regime. Yeah, sorry to finish on, on a down note like this. But don't worry, there'll be perhaps um, something a bit lighter, a bit more frothy coming up your way soon. I do hope you like this slightly different Neon. Uh, let me know on social media. I mean, you can get us in the usual places. So it's Neon Podcasts on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Jem Daducci on Twitter. Um, you know, all you can get all the podcasts on neonpodcast.com, um, Patreon, uh, uh, patreon.com forward slash Neon Podcast. I feel obliged to put all that stuff there, but I think more than anything else is I'd like to know what your thoughts are of Neon's thoughts on Saving Private Ryan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.